This morning's scripture passage is Matthew 30, 13, verses 31 to 35. That's Matthew 13, 31 to 35. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. That was awesome. Got to see Garth on the platform with me. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's good to be with you. It'll be exciting uh, next week uh, to, be, uh, to have uh, some of you be able to join us again here in the space. Um, a few weeks ago, oh, actually, before I forgin, for, forgin? before I begin, uh, uh, Jeremy er, uh, neglected to mention that one of the things, children, that if you want to try to do is to find Jesus. And yes, he's in your heart and he's in your family and your homes, but there's also a little figurine of a dancing Jesus somewhere visible right now and uh, see if you can find him. And I don't actually know if there was a Bible verse to give you a hint for that. But, uh, oh, Isaiah 41, 22. That's in the Old Testament. Okay, thanks for that. So a few weeks ago, a neighbor of ours gave Monica this jar of bubbly goop. And if I didn't know this neighbor, I would have assumed it was a jar of homemade slime which, you know, everyone with children in their homes know is actually is, you know, super fun. Slime has had a place of honor in our home for the past couple of years. Um, but it wasn't simply slime. And, and here's a picture of it. Uh, see if you know what this is. Now, I'll give you an unhelpful hint. You have to feed it, and it creates an excrement that you either have to scrape off and throw out, or you can put it in your food. <laughs> Sounds appealing? Any guesses? Just kidding. No one's here to put your hands up. But This is uh, called a sourdough bread starter. This sour-smelling, bubbly slime is, by definition, a living fungus that, as I said, it eats and it poops and it self-reproduces. Now, fortunately, it doesn't also grow toenails and teeth because that, you know, is the stuff of, uh, you know, different kind of story. And for those of us who aren't familiar with a sourdough bread starter is, essentially, it is the key ingredient in baking amazing fresh bread. A sourdough bread starter is what causes bread to rise and to have a light, soft, fluffy texture inside and a nice, crisp crust. Now, more of us might be familiar with its close cousin, 
That yeast that you buy in the grocery store in a jar, it could be in a jar or in a little packet, and they're kind of these little tiny dry balls about the side of a mustard seed, <laughs> which, you know, here, here is a mustard seed right here. Can you see it? I'm just kidding. We were joking earlier that I should have brought a mustard seed as an example, and Jeremy did, but I don't need to have one. I can just go like this, and you don't know that there's nothing in my finger except for a mini mustard seed of in my dreams, anyway. So, these little tiny dry balls, this yeast, it does very much the same thing as a sourdough starter. However, grocery store yeast, these little tiny balls, they work really fast, where sourdough starter is a slow-acting yeast. So you need to have more patience with it, but the weight as you have, but it is worth the wait. As with patience, this bread is lighter and fluffier and more fragrant. It stays fresher longer. It's easier for our bodies to digest. Uh, it is worth the wait uh, because of the bread is so much, uh, uh, is all of these things, you could say, greater than instant ye what instant yeast can do. And so you, if you have the patience, this living yeast, adding a little into your bread, will make it rise. It transforms flour and water into something that delights the senses and offers sustenance to the body. Garth read us two parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of heaven. And one was about a mustard seed, and the second was about a woman making bread. And this morning, we're going to look closely at these two parables to see what God may want to show us about his kingdom here amongst us. And if you haven't been with us for the past couple of weeks, or perhaps you do not know what a parable is, a parable is essentially a short story. It is a short story that, like yeast and bread, it is meant to get a rise out of its listeners. Oftentimes, those of us who have read Jesus' short stories, his parables, when we've read them many times, we kind of come to think of them as these yeah, cute little stories, you know, that can be simply, you know, heartwarming. They can, which, I mean, they can be, but the main point of a parable is actually to get your attention. There's this famous quote that was, it was originally directed towards journalism, but personally, I think it goes well with describing what Jesus' parables are meant to do. They are meant to be, they are meant to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. They shouldn't merely leave us saying, isn't that a nice little story? And so with the parables, for those of us who have ears to hear, they stir our imagination and our wonder of what God is doing in his kingdom here on earth. But for those of us who do not have ears to hear, who prefer our own ideas of what God should be doing, Jesus' parables can then be shocking and infuriating, and they make us uncomfortable. Now, let's pray as we get into these two parables. Jesus, as we look at these parables of your kingdom, will you comfort us in our places of affliction, and will you afflict us in our places of comfort, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see the places that you are work in the world and the places that you call us to walk alongside of you in this work. Amen. So as we look at these two parables, we're going to continue with the parable of the woman baking bread. So 
verse uh, 33. It's Matthew 13, verse 33. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, it's helpful to begin by paying attention to some of the words that Jesus uses in this parable. And we always run into some trouble with this for those of us who don't read in ancient Greek. That's the original language the Bible's written in. The first phrase is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this phrase, the kingdom of heaven, is Matthew. He's one of the gospel writers, and we have four gospel writers. Matthew's version of what the other gospels call the kingdom of God. So when you hear in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven, it is the same concept as the kingdom of God in the other gospels. And we shouldn't mistake this for something that is like up in the clouds, you know, with angels flying around. That's not what the kingdom of heaven is. But think of it more of what it looks like when God is on the throne. So God's reign in heaven but coming down to earth. And so God the, God, the kingdom of heaven is what it looks like when God is in charge here on earth. Secondly is the word yeast. In the original language, this word isn't actually the word for yeast. It is, translators chose the word yeast, likely because it's what most of us are used to seeing in the grocery store. But the word here is actually the word for leaven. And leaven is a sourdough starter goop. It is that living slime that causes bread to rise. It is not these nice little neat small pellets. And for those of us who have heard this parable before, uh, there are a number of common misconceptions about what is underlying this parable of what leaven is. Because we see leaven is a word that's used in the Old Testament. It's often used, translated as leaven. But then in the New Testament, it's called yeast. But it's actually the same thing. In the New Testament, there are a, a few places that speak about leaven or yeast. And it's usually in a negative sense. It's usually used as something to be avoided. Or as Jesus says later in Matthew, he says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is about the negative attitudes and teachings of prideful religious leaders, the way it spreads and grows, things like injustice and hypocrisy. And so because Jesus says this in this one place, many of us who have no Jewish roots, we take this idea of of leaven as negative, and we transfer it into every other place that we hear talk about yeast and leaven. And we assume that leaven is bad and unleavened is good. However, this is actually not the case. The fact of the matter is, is that in first century Judaism, leaven was actually a common thing to be used. Bread without leaven, so it's called unleavened bread, was something that was actually used for a Jewish festival of Passover. But it was something that was, unleavened bread was for a set apart time. It's not the norm. Unleavened bread is not the norm in the Jewish household in the first century. It was for a set apart time. In fact, some of the offerings that the Jews were supposed to bring the temple to give to God included leavened bread. Bread made with yeast. 
And so if God wanted it as his offering, he wasn't saying that the Jews can't eat it. And so, the, so many Jewish households, most, would have bread with leaven in it. And so here, this picture that Jesus is painting in this story of the woman baking bread is of an everyday woman baking everyday bread. If anything, it's actually just a picture of ordinary. And oftentimes we try to make it into something unordinary. But this is an ordinary picture in a Jewish household. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now there are two things that I think are worth paying attention to. One is that the woman, what the woman does with the leaven. And again, English messes us up here. In our English translations, or at least this one, it says that she took and mixed the leaven. But the word here is actually the word for hid. It is a Greek word is encrypto. And for any of you who like spy movies, this is where we get our English word for encryption. She encrypted the leaven in the flour. And if you don't know what encryption is, encryption is turning something into a code. It is hiding something so that the wrong people don't see it or understand it. But a key to, uh, to this kind of hiding, to encryption, and a key to the understanding of how the New Testament uses this word is that it is hidden in order to be revealed. You don't encrypt something so that no one will ever get it. You actually encrypt it so that it will be revealed at the right time. And so it is kind of like saying that this woman is hiding the yeast in the flour. She is making it secret, but she is hiding it so that it would be revealed or come to light. We see this in other places in the New Testament. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Jesus says that uh, he, the, the, the things of God are hidden from the wise and learned, but revealed to children. It is hidden to be revealed. One of Jesus' followers, a man named Paul, he wrote in the New Testament, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. But when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We are hidden in Christ in order to one day be revealed. We are hidden to later appear. And so the woman hides the leaven in 60 pounds of flour. Now in the past when I've heard this parable, I've pictured this woman, you know, standing at a, at a table with this, you know, nice kind of bread-sized pile of dough and working away at it. But that's not actually the case. She's working with 60 pounds of flour. So here's an example of 60 pounds. Here, I got 60 pounds of flour right here. <laughs> right, see this bin? <laughs> this is how much 60 pounds of flour is. <laughs> ah, just kidding, it's empty. But th this is about how much 60 pounds of flour is. It takes up this much space. So this isn't a lady making nice little dough. She's making this huge amount of flour. She isn't just making bread for herself and her, you know, nuclear family, her, her, herself and her kids. This is a woman making enough bread to offer sustenance to her whole community. This is like 60 loaves of bread. And this is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like a woman who takes this small amount of goopy, sour-smelling, bubbly slime... And she hides it in a huge pile of flour 
And with the woman's patient waiting, the small thing does its amazing work and it moves throughout the whole, making it rise and grow and it transforms the ordinary into something that delights the senses and offers sustenance to the bodies of a whole community. That's the parable of the woman and the leaven. The other parable that Jesus links together with this parable is the one about the mustard seed. And it is very much like the parable of the yeast. Matthew 13, 31 and 32. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Now again, there are some details that people tend to get hung up on in this, um, particularly since in the different versions of, this, of the parables we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there are slightly different, uh, there are slight differences between all of the versions of the same parable. So in one, the seed is planted in a field. One, it is sown in the earth. And in another, it is thrown in a garden. And it can be fun to speculate about the difference between a gar what a garden and a field is. <laughs> and the difference between being planted, sown, or simply thrown. And some people also get hung up on the fact that the mustard seed isn't actually the smallest seed that there is. There are smaller seeds in God's creation. And we get hung, some people get hung up on this as if Jesus needed to be scientifically correct to make his point. As if we sometimes don't say things like, oh, oh I had the smallest little bit of dessert today. <laughs> I'll just have the, the teeniest, tiniest slice of that pie. But anyway. So no, the mustard seed isn't the smallest seed in the world, but it makes no difference to the point of what Jesus is saying. These details are not significant to the point, and the point is that the mustard seed is this teeny tiny seed. And if you look at it, you wouldn't think much would come of it. But while it is seemingly insignificant, it contains the possibility for growing into something large enough not only to produce mustard, and mustard is more than simply a spice. I mean, most of us only think of it as that, you know, yellow goop that we put on a hot dog. Mustard actually was and still is considered to have some healing properties. So this tiny, insignificant seed contains the possibility of producing large amounts of flavorful spice and healing mustard but it becomes something that is big enough that is more than a single person can use. It grows big enough not only to be enough mustard for a community, but it also grows big enough to provide shelter for birds. Which, you know, what's more, for any Jews hearing this, they would have been very familiar with this imagery of trees being a safe and even compassionate shelter for birds. It would have caused them to think of Psalm 104 and God's benevolent care for all of creation with birds singing in the branches. And it would have brought to mind the prophets Daniel and Ezekiel using the same kinds of imagery. 
These words here in this parable, so that the birds come and perch in its branches, would have immediately uh, caught the Jewish imagination and stirred up in them this connection to God's loving and compassionate care, not just for God's people, but for all of creation. And what's more, there's another element to this growing seed as a metaphor for God's kingdom. In the Gospel of Mark, oop, I just lost, I just pulled out my tab. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. What did I just say? Four. <laughs> so this is why I use tabs, so it doesn't work when you pull them out. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grape is, the grape, as soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Here, the image of growing wheat but it's the concept is the same as the mustard seed. Growing from a seed to a stalk to a kernel of grain or to a mustard plant, that doesn't happen overnight. It takes patience. It takes waiting. And yes, the farmer has some work to do, waiting, watering, and weeding. The growing that happens and the fruit that results is not actually the work of the farmer. It is not the farmer that makes the seed grow and produce mustard and shelter for the birds. And it is not the baker that makes the leaven spread through the flour and causes it to rise. Both the farmer and the baker take the small thing and they hide it, either in flour or in the earth. But then the seed and the leaven need to be left alone. They need to be given space and patience. But just watch. Wait and watch, for the kingdom of God is growing. It is sprouting, it is rising. These small things will transform into something that brings nourishment and healing and delight to the senses and gracious shelter. And while there are unlimited implications for this, there are a couple things that I uh, want to highlight. One is to encourage all of us to have the openness to mystery and to wonder. While we may not see it, while things may seem dark, like trying to push through waist-high snow in jeans and running shoes, hidden within the ordinary are the seeds and leaven of life-giving kingdom. We often can't see what is growing under the ground. We can't even imagine what God might be doing to cause life and nourishment to be rising in the everyday flower and water of our lives. But the Spirit of God is stirring life even where there seems to be death. And one day what is hidden will be revealed and we will be in awe of the amazing ways of the kingdom of God that have been working in our midst. Secondly, this mystery and wonder of the ways of the kingdom can enliven, give life to our hope in what God can and do through us. I'd like to introduce you to an author and scholar named Amy Jill Levine. 
She is self-described as a Yankee Jewish feminist who teaches in a predominantly Christian divinity school. And in this Christian school, this Jewish woman is a professor of New Testament and Jewish studies. So she brings the history and understanding of first century Jewish culture to bear on the New Testament. And in her book on the parables, which is called Short Stories by Jesus, she writes this. I'm not going to pull my tab out this time. There we go. She writes this. What we see now is potential. But that potential needs to be actualized. The yeast has to be placed into the dough. The seed has to be planted. Even small actions or hidden actions have the potential to produce great things. In God's kingdom, the smallest, seemingly most insignificant action has the potential to become the seed and the leaven that rises up to unexpected life. And while it's good for us to do big actions of love and service when we are able, and if it's in our, 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 our gifting and our vocation, but the weight of feeling like we need to be doing huge things for God can be overwhelming and discouraging. But here, in the seed and the leaven, we discover that God can and will and does use even the smallest act of care or love. Like an airplane, that if it changes its trajectory, even just by 1%, over the course of time, it will significantly change its destination. So in the same way, the smallest of actions... The lifting of little prayers can be seeds and leaven that lead to changed lives, to deep encouragement, to strengthening and sustenance, both of ourselves and of others. So I encourage you this week, try this out. Keep your eyes and ears open to the wonder and the mystery of God's kingdom. Watch for opportunities to do even the littlest act of care or compassion Putting someone else first, leave an encouraging note or a comment, a smile, a gift, a hug, a prayer for someone who doesn't even know that you're praying. Watch for these opportunities and then do them. And then sit back. Leave it to God and entrust God with it. Amy Jill Levine, again, has what I think are very wise words for this, especially for those of us who feel the need to have our hands in everything, to be hard at work for the kingdom in people's lives. First this, some things need to be left alone. Keep fiddling with the dough and it will not rise. Keep exposing the seed to air and it will not germinate. Not everything or everyone needs our constant attention. We are part of a larger process, and although we may start an action once started, it can often do quite well on its own. And second is this. Sometimes we need to get out of the way. We are not always the focus. Sometimes we are the facilitator for doing something bigger than ourselves. The woman hides the yeast in the dough. Whether people know she did the baking or not remains unstated. The man plants or even tosses the seed, but who sowed it is much less important than the tree into which the seed grows. 
This final image is not a focus on the human actor, but on the results of the action. Some things need to be left alone, and sometimes we need to simply get out of the way. The kingdom of God is not about us. So we don't want to foolishly think we are the center. Yet God still uses us to germinate his kingdom in the world. The kingdom of God is an exercise of patience, of waiting and watching, of letting go of our need to try to control the outcomes. And the kingdom of God is of the smallest, most insignificant, seemingly, I should say, the most seemingly insignificant things, transforming the ordinary into wonderful expressions of God's loving compassion and sustenance for the world. So with wonder and mystery, let us put our little seeds and leaven out into the world and to trust God to do the work of growing the plants and rising the dough. Let's pray. God, your kingdom is always surprising. We have lots of ideas of what we think your kingdom should look like. And yet, even when we plant those seeds, sometimes they grow into something uh, that we would have never recognized. But they are beautiful they reveal the depth of grace and compassion and care and shelter and nourishing and life of who you are. And so God, help us to get beyond ourselves, to recognize that we do not need to be in control of everything, but also to have the faith to put out these little seeds, to put this small leaven into the world to trust and to hope and to watch what you are up to. Amen.